Our text this morning as we continue a summer series on stories Jesus told is the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. There is a surprise or two in store. We begin reading at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And as you're filing those hymn books away, would you take a copy of God's Word and open to the text you heard read, Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31. We will glance at a couple of other texts in Matthew's Gospel, so it will be helpful for you to have your Bibles handy. Now, 25 years ago, I walked across the platform at Denver Seminary wearing a silly robe and a flat-top hat with a tassel hanging down from it. The president of the seminary draped a colorful stole over my robe while the MC said, Kenneth John Langley, whose dissertation was using a genre-sensitive homiletic to increase listeners' affective, aesthetic, and imaginative response to sermons on the Psalms. Well, the audience, most of whom had no idea what was just said, politely applauded, and after that moment, it was okay to call me Dr. Langley. The faculty had determined that I had finished the required coursework and uh, had earned the degree Doctor of Ministry. Well, the speaker that evening, Haddon Robinson, saw in that commencement exercise a picture of an even more important commencement at the end of the age. 
when one era was ending and a new era for the whole world was beginning, when not just the seminary family, but everyone who had ever lived will be gathered, and where the one presiding would not be a seminary president or a faculty, but the Son of Man. And Robinson used, as his text that evening, our parable for today, the parable of the sheep and the goats. He said the first time he ever heard this story was when he was about 12 years old. He and his cousin were on a spiritual quest. <laughs> they were looking for a church that had a basketball team. And uh, they found one, but discovered that every silver lining has a cloud. In order to play on that basketball team, you had to go to Sunday school. So they went, and there they met Miss Larch, a woman who had a keen interest in biblical prophecy, especially, Robinson said, prophecy about the judgments, probably because of the boys in her Sunday school class. Robinson grew up in a ghetto in New York City. And she told them the story of the parable of the sheep and the goats, and in his young, unschooled, and literalistic mind, Robinson thought, that the Bible was talking about literal sheep and literal goats. But then uh, they came back to that story when he was about 15, and by then he realized that the animals represented two different kinds of people. The good guys were the sheep. The bad guys were the goats. Now, although sheep are notoriously stupid, they are more valuable because of their wool. And that's probably why, in Jesus' illustration, the sheep represent the good people. Uh, the shepherd in the first century would graze his flock, both sheep and goats, together during the daytime, but separate them at night, because goats prefer to huddle close together in the fold. Sheep like a little bit more space out in the open. And you and I, uh, with our untrained eyes, if we were to stand up on a hillside and look out at the flock, might have trouble discerning the sheep and the goats. So here, as in other parables by Jesus, our Lord says that there are two kinds of people in the world. You can't always tell them apart. Yet, though God knows, and at the end of time, he will separate them according to their natures and call them to account for, well, we'll see as we proceed in this story. Haddon Robinson pictures that coming judgment day still at age 15. He and his friends imagined that Jesus and some of the angels come out of the balcony of heaven one of the angels lays down his harp, picks up a trumpet, makes a sound like they do at the beginning of a horse race. <laughs> and another angel says, okay, everybody listen up. This is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. The sheep stand on the king's right, your left. Goats stand on the king's left, your right. And then the story proceeds. None of this would have really surprised Jesus' first hearers. He and they shared a biblical perspective that there is coming a day of reckoning, that evil, though it seems to succeed sometimes in this life, will be judged. Virtue, though it doesn't always seem to pay in this life, 
will be rewarded. There is coming a final day of judgment when everyone who has ever lived will answer to their creator. And so even if the imagery of sheep and goats was novel, I'm not sure if anybody before Jesus used that imagery, but even if it was novel, it was no surprise to those who first heard him say that there is coming a great day of judgment. But they would have been surprised by two features of this parable. They would have been surprised by who is going to be the judge. And they would have been surprised by the criterion by which people will be judged. They'd be surprised by who's going to be the judge and the criterion by which people are going to be judged. And it's not surprising that there was some surprise in this parable. Uh, almost all of Jesus' parables seem at first like conventional, ordinary, everyday stories but then there is some twist or some exaggeration that shows listeners and now readers that something else is going on that uh, catches us, hearers and readers, by surprise. Imagine the surprise of Jesus' first listeners to hear that he was going to be the judge, the Son of Man. Son of Man was his favorite self-designation, and he says at the beginning of this parable that it is the Son of Man who will sit on the throne at the end of time, and to him all who have ever lived will give an account. This is a remarkable, a remarkable claim by Jesus to divine prerogatives. We don't read in the Gospels that Jesus went around saying, hey guys, I'm God. <laughs> but we do read in the Gospels that he claimed the authority to forgive sins, and not just sins committed against himself, but sins committed against others and against God. We do read in the Gospels that he claimed the ability to lay down his life when and where he chose and to take his life up again. We do read in the Gospels that he claimed a unity, a oneness with his Father that his first hearers understood as a claim to equality with God. We read in the Gospels that he existed before Abraham and entered this world on a mission. And here in Matthew 25, we read that on the coming day of judgment, which all of his hearers believed in, he was to be the one in God's place on the throne as king and judge of everybody who's ever lived. So please, let's have no nonsense about Jesus as merely a great moral teacher. If this man was not the God-man, then he was seriously deluded or the worst charlatan who ever lived. It's coming a day of judgment. No surprise there. I'm going to be the judge. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And then there's another surprise in this parable, and that is the criterion of judgment. The people 
gathered before the Son of Man are going to be called to account for how they have treated Jesus' followers. He calls them his brothers in verse 40. The least of these in verse 46. Now, there is a respected tradition that interprets this parable as having to do with how we treat the poor and the needy, whoever they are. For example, I, I read a preacher uh, describe how he was walking down the street in Philadelphia one day and he saw a bum, a man filthy, covered in soot from head to toe, with a big beard with crumbs of food in it. And the, the bum was carrying a cup of McDonald's coffee and muttering as he walked along. And he spotted the preacher and said, hey, mister, would you like some of my coffee? And the preacher thought, well, I ought to be nice. And so he took a sip and handed it back to him and said, um, you're being very generous with your coffee. May I ask why? And the bum said, well, it seems to me that if God gives you something good, you ought to share it. The preacher thought, oh, this sounds like a setup. <laughs> but went ahead and said, is there anything I can do for you? Thinking the guy would ask for a few bucks. And the bum said, yes, you could hug me. The preacher thought, I wish he'd asked me for five bucks. Uh, but went ahead and hugged him. And the bum hugged him. And it dawned on the preacher pretty quickly that the guy was not going to let go. And there they stood out on the sidewalk, hugging. As passers-by stared at them, it was very embarrassing, but then after a while, the embarrassment turned to awe as the preacher could imagine a voice from 2,000 years ago saying, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in jail, did you visit me? When I was a bum, did you hug me? Now, I, I don't want to quarrel with that, I think, cool story or the preacher. Certainly the Bible has a lot to say about how we treat the poor and the needy. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' brothers and the least of these always refer to Jesus' followers. And this is important enough for me to invite you to take a look at a couple of other texts. Look at chapter 12 and verse 46. Keep your finger in Matthew 25, but look at chapter 12. And in Matthew 12, 46, we read, While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, it's not blood kinship that matters. It is how are you related to Jesus and his Father by faith and obedience. Or look at chapter 10 and verse 40. In Matthew 10, Jesus has been warning his disciples that trouble is coming, hard times. He's sending them out on a mission and knows that 
eventually, if not right away, that mission is going to be violently opposed. They're going to suffer need. They're going to be in pain and poverty, and they're going to be persecuted, and some are going to be jailed. And in verse 40, he indicates that there are going to be some people in such times who will shelter them, provide for them, and visit them in prison. He who receives me, verse 40, and he who receives me receives the, oh, excuse me, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man will, because he's a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water, one of the least of these little ones, because he is my disciple. Nowhere in this chapter do we read about children or the poor and the needy as the least of these. Jesus points to the disciples as the least of these. I tell you the truth, that person will not lose his reward. So in chapter 10, as in chapter 25, to do good for one of Jesus' brothers, one of his disciples, is to do good to the king himself. That's Matthew's teaching, and he got it from his master. So there are at least two surprises in this parable. One surprise is who's going to be sitting on the throne judging the world. The other is the criterion by which people will be judged. But I wonder if you notice that it's not only we who hear this story who are surprised, it's the people in the story who are surprised. The goats, when confronted with their failure to do any good to the king, wonder, what are you talking about? And, and here's Haddon Robinson again at age 15. This time I'm going to read his exact words. He says, since I had been going to Sunday school, I knew I would saunter right over to the king's right. My difficulty was with the guys in my gang who didn't go to Sunday school. All this was going to be news to them. They didn't know about the judgments. They regularly consigned one another to hell, but I don't think they thought it would actually come about. And I imagined an angel going over to Carl Bracali, Marty Lippin, or Fred Bondietti and trying to explain to them what all this is about. The angel would say, you fellows are the goats. You go over to the king's left. And they would say, what do you mean we're the goats? Well, the king was hungry, and you didn't give him anything to eat. He was thirsty. You didn't give him anything to drink. He was a stranger. You didn't take him in. He needed clothes. You didn't give him clothes. He was sick. You didn't take care of him. He was in prison. You didn't go visit him. And they would say, you've got to be kidding. We, we never saw him. We never did that. The angel would explain that there were those who belonged to him, and you didn't help. I can imagine Andy Medina saying, wait a minute, you, got, you don't know our neighborhood. You don't take strangers in here. Man, the next thing you know, they're going to mug you. you. You don't hang around with sick people. You can catch their disease. Robinson says at age 15, no, I thought it was going to be a tough assignment for whatever angel had to explain to the guys in my gang. But notice it's not only the goats who are surprised. The sheep say in verse 37. When did we ever see you in need? 
and attend to your need. And the king will reply, verse 40, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. What's the criterion? In this parable anyway? What's going to matter on the judgment day are little unremembered acts of love that are important to the king. Now, I don't mean that you can earn eternal life by hugging a bum or throwing some money in the Salvation Army kettle or volunteering at the local soup kitchen. The Bible is clear from beginning to end that eternal life, a relationship to God, is a gift. It can't be earned or deserved. Nobody is good enough. Nobody could ever hope to do enough to earn eternal life. But once you accept it as a gift, then God begins to do a work in your heart to make you the kind of person who does good things. And many of them you, you won't even remember. But what's going to matter on the judgment day are little unremembered acts of love that are important to the king. I can imagine standing before the Son of Man and he says, Langley, I want to talk to you about something that happened in June of 1997. Oh, yeah. That's the, uh, that's the month that I, I earned my doctorate with a dissertation on genre-sensitive preaching of the Psalms. And the king will say, yeah, I haven't read it. Um, and have no intention of reading it. I've always been put off by that word genre. It seems so pretentious. But um, after your graduation ceremony, you took your family on vacation in Ocean City, New Jersey. And one morning, you were taking a walk on the boardwalk, and you noticed a distraught woman. She was one of mine. And you stopped and talked to her and prayed with her. You did that to me. And then you went home to Zion, and, and a, a missionary couple visited you in your home, and when you went to get their coats for them, you slipped a $100 bill in the man's pocket. Oh, yeah. I, I do remember that now, I guess because I don't do that kind of thing very often. King said, yeah, I know you don't. Um, <laughs> but you did that for me. Get this? You, get, you hear what Jesus is saying? What's going to matter on the judgment day are these little unremembered acts of love that matter to the king. Now, I have my diploma on a shelf in my office, but I don't think the king is all that impressed. Somewhere in a box, I think I still have the tassel from my silly hat, but I don't think I'll wave it around when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him and he sits on his heavenly throne. I think, what about you? I think I'll just plan on being surprised. Pray with me.
Father, today we have sung about and heard about the return of the king. A sober day for many who will be consigned to an eternity separated from you. A day of great rejoicing for those who have trusted and obeyed your son. And I pray that every person in here will be among the sheep on that great day. Whenever it comes. Soon, we hope. But until that day comes, please help us by your spirit to keep on keeping on, to hold on to our courage where courage is needed, and to persist in doing those acts of love which we may soon forget, but you notice that we might put a smile on your face and that we might hear well done from the king when we stand in his presence. And let all his people say,